let me welcome you to week number two, our second week of six, where we are thinking together about this idea of armor up, how we can stand strong or stand firm in the battles of life. Last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about the fact that the objective for every follower of Jesus is to stand firm in the faith. It's not, that's not what I say the objective of our lives is. It's what the Bible says the objective of our lives is. Look at it, verse 11, verse 13, verse 14 in Ephesians chapter 6. Four times you'll see the word stand. Verse 13 says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Here's the motivation. Why should I take unto myself the armor of God? So that you may stand. The objective of our lives is to stand. Verse number uh, 13, that we are to withstand. Verse number 11, stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse uh, Verse number 14, stand therefore. Four times in three verses, the Bible says that we are to stand. And I gave you the definition last week what this word stand means. Let me give it to you again. It is to remain in place. Or another way to say it is to abide When we are standing in the faith, it means that we are remaining present in our following, present in our faith in Jesus. It is to say that I have trusted in Jesus in the past, I am trusting in Jesus right now, and I will trust in Jesus until my last day. I am abiding in the faith. I'm standing in the faith. Now, all of us would say, well, amen. I mean, of course, right? We're going to continue to stand in the faith. But we also have to recognize that this standing is not automatic. And in fact, it comes with much opposition. And Paul warns us about the opposition that we face. Look at it in verse number 12. He says in that verse that our struggle is spiritual, Last week we talked about the fact that every battle that we face really at its core is a spiritual battle. Do you see it in verse 12? For we wrestle, we're struggling, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me tell you what Paul understood. He understood spiritual warfare And he understood that every single follower of Jesus is engaged in a spiritual battle. Now I want to help you to understand this today, that you would sort of clue in, if you're not already, that you would clue in to the fact that you are in a spiritual battle. Listen to how Peter told us about this in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Peter warns us, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, hey, listen carefully, the devil is not your friend. The devil does not have your good in mind. The the devil isn't here to help you, and he's not even indifferent to your spiritual life. He is your enemy. Peter says he's your adversary. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's not indifferent. He's not here to help. He wants to destroy. 
And he seeks to deceive you in order to destroy you. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your witness. He, he wants to destroy your joy. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy your grandbabies. He is your enemy. And you are, as a follower of Jesus, you are engaged in a battle. And Paul warns us about that battle. Now, in fact, he gets pretty specific in verse number 12 to give us the tactical ordering of what the forces of hell really look like. Notice this ordering that verse number 12 spells out for us. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but here's who we're wrestling against. First of all, against principalities and powers. Now, these two go together, principalities and powers. The word principality is the word arche. So we would, we would get our word uh, the archangel or the highest. Or maybe you would say he's my arch enemy. He's, he's my primary or my highest uh, or fiercest enemy. Principalities, the top. And then powers, the word is exousia. It means one on the throne or the one who exercises dominion. So when he talks in verse 12 about spiritual forces arrayed against the believer, he says in the first place, there are those at the top, that top order of demonic forces. We would even say Satan himself, but those rulers, those, those uh, arch enemies of the, of the uh, Christian who, who lead the forces of hell in this world, the principalities and the powers. And then he goes on to say in verse number 12, not only the principalities and powers, but then we wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's a really interesting uh, distinction. The rulers of the darkness of this world. Now, it, it literally means one who rules over darkness within the world. If you want to read some more about this, you can make a note and go look at it later. Daniel chapter 10 describes for us, I believe, this level of the spiritual or the hellish order. It is that more localized um, demonic prince, if you will, or ruler who has authority over a particular region or nation or perhaps a ruler. Daniel 10 talks about uh, the prince of Persia that was the ruling empire in Daniel's day. And the angel revealed to, da to, to, to uh, Daniel that when the prince of Persia would go away, then the prince of Greece would come. And he's clearly not talking about human princes. He's talking about demonic princes. And so you can go and see that later. There are, I believe, regional or national or even specific to people or rulers, um, demons that influence them. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that what's happening right now with Russia, that Vladimir Putin might be in some way under the influence of the rulers of darkness. It's pretty obvious, right? I mean, when you see evil like we're seeing, you've got to imagine there's a spiritual dynamic to that. Um, when we saw the evil of ISIS, the, the rise of ISIS a few years ago, uh, beheading countless people and, and, uh, and murdering women and children. 
Um, you, you, you look at that and you go, there's got to be a spiritual dynamic, the rulers of darkness. When you think of somebody like Adolf Hitler, there's, there are rulers of darkness. So Paul talks about principalities and powers and then rulers of darkness. And then thirdly, in verse number 12, uh, he says there are also spiritual wickedness in high places or, or simply wicked spiritual beings. And then I, I would just su- suggest that these are um, lesser demonic forces that carry out the will of those rulers and those principalities and those powers. Now the point of all of that is to say that when the Bible talks about the devil, when the Bible talks about Satan, there is this organized ordered spiritual offensive that is arrayed against the believer. You need to know that that's real. Now, if that frightens you at all, or if you're intimidated by that, let me encourage you with some some facts that you ought to stand upon. Maybe you'll write them down. The first one is to say that, that Jesus engaged in spiritual warfare, and he showed us how to win. Amen? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in direct conflict with the devil, Satan tempting him multiple times in different ways, and he showed us how to win. You can go read it later. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is the winner. Praise God. The second thing that ought to encourage you in this spiritual warfare is that Jesus defeated the powers of hell through his death and resurrection. Now here's the fact. We're going to face a spiritual enemy, but you should go into every day knowing that the spiritual enemy that you're facing is already a defeated foe. Because the Bible says that his death and resurrection, Jesus made an open show. In other words, he humiliated Satan and his armies with his death and resurrection. Number three, you should not be intimidated by the spiritual battle because Jesus indwells every believer, every Christian, and he is greater than Satan. Somebody say amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, yes, there's a spiritual battle. I have an adversary. You have an adversary. There are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness. All those things are real. But here's the fact that will be true today. It'll be true tomorrow. It'll be true until I step through the gates of glory. Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, indwells me, and he is greater than the enemy that opposes me. This is the promise of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater, everybody say the word greater, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. All right, so don't let this thing of spiritual warfare intimidate you. Know that it's real. Understand the battle we're engaged in, but recognize the resource of the living, reigning Lord and of the power of the Spirit within you. There's one other thing that we should be encouraged in with this battle, and it is that Jesus has provided us with the armor that we need uh, in order to win the battle. And that's our text in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor that he has given us. Follow along as I read, please. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 10. Ephesians 6 and verse number 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, because we're in this battle, take unto you the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about or girded about with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we'll stop reading there for today. I want you to go back up with me to verse number 13, and I want you to notice the command in verse number 13 where he says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, the word take unto you means to pick it up, to pick it up. And then if you'll go back up again to verse number 11, he says, put it on. Verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God. See the armor of God, Take up the armor of God and put on the armor of God. In the same way that you would say to your two-year-old before they go out of the house to play in the yard, get your coat and put it on. And they're going to say, yeah, put it on. Get your coat and put it on. Well, I don't want, you're going to get sick if you don't put it on. Get your coat and put it on. You're serious, man. You want them to pick it up and put it on. That's what Paul says. Pick it up and put it on. Help me preach. Tell your neighbor and tell them like you're mad. Put it on. Oh, you didn't sound mad enough. Tell them, put it on. Yeah, that's right. That's what Paul's saying. Pick it up and put it on. Loved ones, hear me. As followers of Jesus, and if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to invite you to know him today, but all of us who know Jesus need to recognize we are engaged in an epic battle for our own spiritual well-being. We are engaged in an epic battle for the the spiritual well-being of those around us and of the next generation. And we are engaged in an epic battle for the glory of God in this present world. And if we are going to stand firm in this battle, if we have any hope of winning this battle, we must intentionally Pick it up and put it on, the armor. We must put it on every single day. Now this phrase that I had you say to your neighbor, put it on, this idea of putting on is a phrase that is repeated in Scripture numerous times and every time it is used to speak of putting on, it indicates a change that is so dramatic It's clear to everyone that the change that occurs when something is put on is not subtle. Listen, it's not a subtle change. It's not an understated change. It is an obvious change. Now, I want to show you this in 1 Corinthians 15. You're in Ephesians 6. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. What? It's, I mean, it's got to be six, eight pages maybe. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians 15 and look with me in verse number 53. You're going to see this word of putting something on. And Paul's writing about the resurrection. He's writing about the time when the Lord comes and the dead in Christ will be raised and then we which are alive and remain will, will be called up. Listen to what he says in verse number uh, 52. He says, In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we, that's us alive, shall be changed. What's the change going to look like? Verse 53. 
For this corruptible must, say it with me, say it out loud, put on. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Let me tell you something about your body, about my body. These bodies are mortal. They're going to die. In fact, they're dying right now. We're all headed toward death. These bodies are mortal. Secondly, these bodies are corrupt. Corrupt in sin, corrupt in sickness, corrupt in our, in our failures to be obedient to God. Our bodies are mortal. Our bodies are corrupt. Well, I don't know about you, if you, but I'm going to heaven. I hope you're going to heaven. And here's the fact of the matter. Corruption and mortality cannot enter into heaven. So when Jesus comes, he's got to put something on me. And that is that this mortal has got to put on, are y'all with me? Immortality. And this corruption has to put on in corruption. And when that change happens, it's not going to be subtle. When that change occurs, it's not going to be that nobody will be able to tell the difference. It'll be a dramatic change in that day. In fact, so dramatic that look at the next verse. The next verse says, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall have put on immortality, then at that time, it shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The change will be so dramatic in that day that we will look at the grave and we will laugh. And we will look at death and we will say, you have no power because I have put on incorruption and immortality. Now, if you are with me, say amen. amen. Listen carefully. In the same way, in as dramatic a way, when a Christian puts on the armor of God, the transformation is neither subtle nor understated, it is dramatic. And it ought to be obvious to everyone around. In fact, I want you to take a pen, go back with me to Ephesians chapter number six, and I want you to, want you to circle six different words in these verses, which are the armor that Paul lists that we are to put on. Go to verse 14, and I want you to circle in verse number 14 the word truth. That's the first piece of armor. He says, I want you to put on truth. In verse 14, circle the word righteousness. I want you to put on righteousness. In verse number 15, circle the words gospel of peace, or at least just the word gospel. I want you to put on the gospel. Verse number 16, circle the word faith. Verse number 17, circle the word salvation. Verse number 17, circle the word or the words word of God. The word of God. And then even in verse number 18, you might circle the word prayer. That's not a piece of the armor, but it is the practice of the armored up Christian. We ought to be men and women of prayer. So he says, I want you to put on the full armor of God because you're in a spiritual battle. And if you have any hope of standing and winning in this life, then you're going to have to armor up with the armor of God. But then when he lists the armor, it's things like truth and righteousness and, and the gospel and, and, and faith. So clearly, when Paul says put on the armor of God, he doesn't mean literal arm, armor. Can we agree to that? He's not literally talking about a suit of armor. 
that Christians ought to wear. But rather, he is describing for us the character, listen carefully, the likeness of Jesus. What he's saying is, is that you should armor up in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I mean, when you think about this idea of of Christ and what he's like, do these words, truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, the word, do these things describe the character of Jesus? Of course they do. And so he's saying we should put on Christ. Which, by the way, it's not the only place that the Bible says this. Paul says it in two other places in his writings. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And again in Romans 13, verse 14, he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Do you understand? What Paul is saying, when Paul says to the Ephesians, when he says to us in his word that you need to, if you have any hope of winning this epic battle, if you want to stand against this onslaught of the enemy whose singular desire is to deceive you and devour your life so that you will not stand for Christ, if you have any hope of standing, hide yourself in Christ. That's what he means when he says put on the armor. He's saying hide yourself in Christ. Let me, sh- let me show you what this looks like. Turn from Ephesians over to Colossians. Again, it's the other direction from 1 Corinthians, but a few pages. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Listen to this. Colossians 3 and verse number 3. Speaking to believers, he says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, let me show you what he means. Let Let me illustrate it for you this way. My left hand is the cross. Let's pretend this is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Here's my life and your life before we met Jesus. We're just living our lives, doing our thing. Then we hear the gospel and we begin to be drawn to faith in Christ. And as we come to the cross, we die. When you come to salvation, you die to your old life. You die to yourself. You die to sin. You come to the cross in death. You are dead. He says in Colossians 3, and your life, now dead, is hid with Christ in God. Your life is covered by Christ or hidden by Christ. And verse 4 says, look at verse 4 of Colossians 3, when Christ shall appear in glory, then we will be revealed. Do you see it? I came to the cross and died. I was covered in Christ. All through this life, I'm covered in him. And one day he's coming. And when he comes, his grace in my life will be fully revealed on that day. Paul says, if you want to win the battle, hide yourself in Christ. Be covered in Christ. Here's the truth. If you had gone to battle 2,000 years ago with a Roman soldier, if you had been involved in hand-to-hand combat with a Roman soldier and somebody after that battle said to you, tell me who you were fighting, you would have said, I I don't know. I was fighting a Roman soldier. They said, no, no, tell me his name. What did he look like? What was was he like? You go, I couldn't really see him. All I could see was his armor. 
He was covered with a shield. He was covered with a breastplate. His helmet came down over his head, covered much or most of his face. I couldn't really see him. All I could see was what he was wrapped in. Listen, this is what Paul is calling us to. In our lives, we shouldn't even really be seen. We should hide ourselves in the armor of Christ. And he should be the one that is seen. So Paul says, if you have any chance of winning this battle, Put on the armor. Now, back in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul expertly employs this imagery of a Roman soldier's armor in describing the characteristics or the qualities of Christ that we are to put on and hide ourselves in. Look at it again, verses 14 down through verse number 17. He says put on truth, that's the quality, but he calls it the belt, having having your, your loins girded with truth. Uh, he talks about putting on righteousness, but he calls it the breastplate. He speaks of the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Everything that Paul is using in this, in this metaphor to describe the armor, he's describing a Roman soldier. So how did Paul know the Roman soldier's armor so well? I mean, he wasn't a Roman soldier, right? He didn't wear that armor. Well, you might say, well, he knew it because he saw it every day. I mean, he lived in Jerusalem. He saw the Praetorian Guard. He, he, was, he saw Roman soldiers every day of his life. But if you read Acts 28 and verse number 16, go do it later. Acts 28, 16 tells us that Paul, remember where he was when he wrote Ephesians? He was in prison in Rome under house arrest. And Acts 28, 16 tells us about that time when he was in house arrest in Rome. And it tells us that he was chained to a Roman soldier. That was the first century method of an ankle bracelet. <laughs> You're under house arrest, Paul, but you can't go anywhere. We've chained you to this Roman soldier. Now you imagine Paul, every, day of, every morning of his life during that imprisonment, watching that soldier put on his sandals put on his belt, put on his breastplate, have his shield, his helmet. And you imagine Paul saying, man, that's what we need. As Christians, that's what I need. Christians need to armor up like that with truth and righteousness. Do you understand? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says these qualities of Christ are like that soldier's armor. And it will allow us to stand. And so Paul says... I want you to put on the armor. And then he says, first of all, I want you to write it down. Begin by putting on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. Now notice, he doesn't say put on the belt of the truth. He says put on the belt of truth. Or truthfulness. Do you see it in verse number 14? Stand therefore, stand against the enemy, stand in this battle, stand in the battles of life, having your loins girt or girded about with truth. Not the truth, but with truth. To be girded, we don't use that word really in our day, girded, but the word girded or to gird means to wrap around yourself, to encircle yourself, or it can mean to tighten the belt. Many of us today have on a belt, 
And we have a belt on to hold up what we're wearing. Say amen if you think a belt is a good thing on a Sunday morning. We have a belt. So we, we get dressed, we put our pants on, then we wrap a belt around us and we pull it tight. And that belt is girding our loins. It's girding our midsection or it's surrounding our midsection. Paul says, put that belt on. Put on the belt of truth every single day. Now, the people in Ephesus who were reading his letter would have clearly understood what he meant by a girdle, uh, 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 being girded. They all, men and women in those days, wore long flowing robes. And if they needed to do some work or be agile or certainly to run, they would gather up. You've read where the Bible says girding up their loins. They would gather up that robe and tuck it into the belt. The belt was there to hold it up. The same was true for a Roman soldier. He would be girded with a belt around his midsection in order to tuck in and hold the, the garments that he was wearing, the, hold the things that he needed. For the Roman soldier, the belt was the anchor of his armor. It held the things that he needed, rather like, in a way, like a police officer's tactical belt today that holds his, his, uh, his pistol and his taser and his mace and his handcuffs and his flashlight. It holds together. His uniform. For the soldier, it held the sheath where his sword would go. It it served as the anchor for his breastplate that he would wear. This belt of truth also was not a, a little belt. The belt that I'm wearing this morning, the most of you are wearing, is maybe an inch wide, very thin leather. The Roman soldier's belt wasn't like that. It was several inches wide, a thick belt and, and, and a thick, had a thickness to have great strength. And so when he would put it on, it served as sort of like a weightlifter's belt. You know, when weightlifters uh, need to secure and strengthen and stabilize their core, they, they put around a, themselves a weightlifting belt. Or maybe you work in a job where the HR department says, don't lift anything more than 30 pounds unless you put on the support belt because they don't want you to be injured. When we put a belt around our waist, it stabilizes and strengthens our core. What Paul says is that Christians every day need to wrap ourselves in a strengthening, stabilizing belt. What kind of belt? It's a belt of truth. Truth. Not the truth. I don't think he's talking about the gospel truth. Or the truth of the gospel, he's talking about truthfulness. Here's what the word means. It means truthfulness or sincerity. It means to be transparent or, here's my favorite word to define it, unhidden. Unhidden. It simply means that we are to gird ourselves with a life that is authentic, that is sincere that is wrapped up in truth. And does that describe our Lord? You know, in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees had to admit to Jesus, you're the real deal, you speak truth. You do, what you say is true. In John chapter one and verse 14, we read where John said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. It was the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says, look, here's who I am. I'm the way, I'm truth. 
and I'm the life. I'm transparent. I'm authentic. I am who I said I am. Now, Paul says, if you hope to stand in this life, you need to wrap yourself in truth. If y'all are listening, I want you to shout amen. Amen. I love you. I mean that sincerely. I love you. And I love you enough to say what I'm getting ready to say to you. And it is that for some of you in this room, you are a Christian. You are. You've trusted in Christ. You're on your way to heaven. But the truth is, your Christian faith is so wobbly and weak and unstable. And what might be the reason is that your life is not wrapped in truth. It's wrapped in insincerity or inauthenticity. And that means that the depth of your devotion to Jesus is as deep as your current company. So when you're around Christians who are devoted to Jesus, you're devoted to Jesus. But when you're around people who don't know Jesus, you couldn't find your Christianity on a measuring stick. It's just true. I love you, but it's true. How you live during the week in no way resembles what you say you believe and what you sing when you come here on Sunday mornings. There's no authenticity to your life. And it leaves you weak and exposed and unable to stand. This inauthenticity is marked by secrets. And so your home life, your recreation choices, your screen time is all filled with secrets. You lie. Let's just be honest. You lie. You lie to your spouse. You lie to your boss. Some of you are students and you're lying to your parents? You're, you're lying about your, your activities and your behaviors? You lie. And because you live with these secrets and these lies and this hypocrisy, these misrepresentations, you misrepresent your product, you misrepresent your service, you... You do whatever it takes to get the sale, even if it means you got to lie. Here's the thing. You say, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Jesus. But your life has no truthfulness to it. Then you're weak. And you have no real hope of standing firm in the difficulties of life. I love you. But that's just true for some of us. And Paul says, you've got an enemy. Satan wants to destroy you. And if you have any hope of standing, you need to to wrap yourself in truth. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 says this, Wherefore, put away lying. Stop it. Stop living a lie. And be truthful with your neighbor. So your prayer today needs to be, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me for being a liar. Forgive me for my inauthenticity and my 
Hypocrisy for saying one thing and, and pretending I believe this and yet living completely differently. God, forgive me and give me grace to be an authentic, transparent Christian. Put on the belt of truth. Number two, he says that we ought to not only put on the belt of truth, but secondly, we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, verse number 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and secondly, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate, this armored soldier, this Roman soldier's armored breastplate that would come from the shoulders all the way down across his chest and his torso and rest on his belt. This, this breastplate for the soldier served the same purpose as a police officer's or a modern-day warrior's body armor, that it covers this section, and it's intended to protect the vital organs, the heart and the lungs and the vital organs from taking any blows with a, with a javelin or with a spear in our day with a bullet. It is to, it is to protect from a fatal wound. Paul says you need to wear a breastplate. And the breastplate that's going to protect your heart is the breastplate of righteousness. Now notice what he says, put on the breastplate. He doesn't say create the breastplate. Listen, listen, he's not talking about being self-righteous or creating your own righteousness. No, the, the breastplate, the righteousness exists. It's Christ's righteousness. It already has been provided. We are simply to put it on. Now, we got it when we got saved, right? You were made righteous in Christ at the moment that you were saved. That's our position. And the Holy Spirit continues to keep us righteous, to maintain our position and our standing before God. But we have a role to play in righteousness. Listen to me carefully. If y'all are listening, shout amen. You and I have a role to play in our righteousness. We don't get to say, well, Jesus made me righteous and the Holy Spirit keeps me righteous and so I can do whatever I want to because at the end of the day, I'm righteous in Christ. You have a part to play. And that is that every single day of your life, you make this determination. Not that you're going to go create your own righteousness, but that you say, Lord Jesus, I want your righteousness to work itself out in my life today. I want to live righteously. I want to live in a way that brings you honor. I'm not going to live as close to the edge as I can. I'm not going to see how much sin I can have and you still keep me close in your, in your care. I'm not going to play the, straddle the fence. God, I want my life to be righteous, but not because I can do it, but I'm asking that your righteousness would work itself out in my life. And so we do that when every day we put on daily by our decisions to walk in Christ's righteousness. I just decide, Lord, I, today I want righteousness to be the mark of who I am. And I, I can't do it, and Lord, you've done it, and I'm just asking you to clothe me and put that armor on me. Again, Ephesians chapter number four, look at it, verse number 22. This is the decision that we make to put on the armor of righteousness. Ephesians four twenty-two that you would put off the former conversation, the way you used to live, put off the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you will put on the new man, which after God has been created in righteousness and true holiness. There you go. How do I put on the breastplate of righteousness? I put on Christ. 
Every day I'm hidden in Christ and his righteousness becomes mine. So our prayer then simply is to say, Lord Jesus, let my life be righteous today through the power of your Holy Spirit giving me grace to make righteous decisions, okay? Loved ones, you are in a battle. The devil's not your friend. And you're gonna, st- you're gonna be opposed by the forces of hell until the day that you draw your last breath. All of us will. And we have no hope of standing if we're weak, if we're unrighteous. We have no hope of standing to the end. So every morning, Lord, I'm going to wrap my life, I'm going to gird my loins in truth. I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to walk in the truth. I'm not going to live in secrets. I'm not going to live in hiding. I just want my life to be unhidden as I live with you. I want to walk in truth and be stable. I want to live every day going, what did I tell that one? What did I tell that one? i got to cover that lie. i got to go here to cover that. Man, what a weak way to live. God, I just want to live in truth. And then, Lord, I want to put on righteousness. You've, you've done it. You've provided it. Now, God, I want to live in it. And if you'll do that, then you will be well on your way to standing until the end. Amen? Now, some of you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and I hope you'll trust him today. I really do. I hope you'll come to faith in Christ today. And this armor thing we're talking about, for you, that begins with repenting of your sin and just acknowledging that you're like all of us, that we're all in this boat together. We're all sinners. And that none of us can be righteous on our own and none of us can go to heaven without God's forgiveness and his grace. And that Jesus paid the price for your sin and mine. He died on the cross to pay for it. And he was raised from the dead to give us eternal life. And if you'll trust in that, he'll forgive you. He'll take you to heaven.